What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast with Doster, CEO of the Podcast. It is Monday morning, January 17th. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined by my lovely, lovely co-host, Clemson Sharpshooter, and now Raycom uh, color commentator, Terrence Oglesby, as well as uh, the Big East Digital Networks and Fox Sports, John Fanta. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Everyone good? Everyone have a good weekend? Doing great, man. As, as long as I can figure out my coffee situation, great weekend. We actually got about three inches of snow, so the world closed down in South Carolina because we don't know how to deal with these type of situations. So grocery stores are closed. There's a couple gas stations open. I can't get to Chick-fil-A. Huge travesty. Other than that, we're functioning. We're functioning. Kids went sledding. They're happy. Introduced my son to the Sandlot last night. He was amazed at how well Benny the Jet Rodriguez was able to pickle the beast. So that is I felt like I did good movie. parenting, good parenting. That is, that is an all time classic movie. Mm. Good job. Good work. Fanta, how was your weekend, man? Well, it snowed in New Jersey, kind of took a, a load off, was watching games and monitoring things, but spent some time with the lady and uh, kind of observed the sport from afar nationally, just to take a look at some teams that I haven't seen as closely because I've been on a Saturday game or, or had a, a game on the weekend that then obviously, as you know, T.O. could take up some time for your prep work. So sometimes you might miss a team, but uh, I was inside Buffalo Wild Wings on Saturday, gentlemen. I love to get those potato wedges with shredded cheese uh, and some bacon. So I'm sitting here in Buffalo Wild Wings and the whole restaurant is watching the Bengals Raiders game. And my eyes are staring at Baylor and Oklahoma State. And also on the other TV, TCU in Oklahoma, which somehow went to overtime. Uh, but Baylor losing to Oklahoma State, which means on this Monday, January 17th, we will have a new number one. And I believe that should be Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers. So let's get into that. Why? Why Bruce Pearl? Why Auburn? Well, I think that they're the most complete team in the country. And I think that they're a team that has proven in these recent weeks with their play, with their wins, the win in Tuscaloosa for me, next level stuff. Um, Because of the fact, Rob, that I think that there's a fair argument to say that they possess the the most versatile 4-5 duo in America between the great play of Jabari Smith, his length, his skill set, he could very well hear his name called number one in the draft next June. But it goes beyond him. I look at Walker Kessler and what he does from a rim protection standpoint. If you don't have them, 
You've got Dylan Cardwell, who won them the game at Alabama with the game-securing block. You have a backcourt, guys, that has several candidates that could go for that 20-point performance on any given night. We saw it last week with what Wendell Green put up for the Tigers, but there's J.D. Davison. There are other names as well in that backcourt. And you have one of the best coaches in America. Straight up, Bruce Pearl has done a terrific job at molding this team. Just one loss on the season on a neutral floor to the Connecticut Huskies. The Auburn Tigers belong at the number one spot. They're playing the best basketball right now. They have a completeness to them. And I love this team and do believe that at the moment, they are the best team in the country for what they've done in recent weeks and for the fact that they possess a superstar who's not a guard. And they got really good guards already. And I love that about the Tigers' makeup. I think it comes down to who you're going to rank number one on how you value uh, metrics versus resume, if that makes sense. Uh, Gonzaga is number one in the net. Gonzaga is number one in Ken Palm. They are number one in most of the places that are going to give you some of these advanced numbers. Uh, A very large reason for that is that they keep putting up 115 points on teams that they play. They completely ran BYU and Santa Clara and Pepperdine out of the gym. They are uh, the most ruthless offense in college basketball right now. I don't really think that that's debatable. Um, But their resume does not stack up anywhere near to what Auburn's does right now either. Here are Gonzaga's best wins this season. They beat Texas at home which doesn't look as good as it did at the time. They beat Texas Tech on a neutral, which is pretty good, but Texas Tech also just lost to, to Kansas State. Uh, they beat UCLA on, on – on, I guess that was at um, at Pauley Pavilion, right? So that was uh, – looked a lot better. Was that – no, that was a neutral. That was yeah, in Vegas. Wasn't that was it? in Las Vegas. Yeah, that was in Vegas. So they beat, Los, uh, the, they beat UCLA, which, I mean, probably is a really good win, but, like, UCLA has not been all that great this season. And they blew out BYU at home, who we thought was going to be awesome when they beat the hell out of Oregon, but really hasn't been all that impressive. Whereas Auburn's resume, they beat LSU by 15 at home. They got Loyola Chicago on a neutral. They won at Alabama. They won at St. Louis. Uh, To put it in perspective, to kind of tie a bow on it, right now Auburn is 4-1 and against quad one opponents and 4-0 and against quad two opponents, where where Gonzaga is – four and two against quad one with just one quad two win so i think the argument is that if you're basing this on a resume auburn is number one which means co we get to the tiebreaker put them on a neutral court right they're facing off Vegas, a lot of metrics wh- wherever you want houston wherever you want to play this game uh who wins auburn against gonzaga right now well for the sake of argument we can play in new orleans play new orleans it's going to be uh, <laughs> let's say this i I think Auburn would win the game right now. So to me, that come that's where it comes down to. Wherever you say Gonzaga is the number one offense in the country, they are according to Kim Palm in a lot of these places. But what do they do? They attack the rim, shooting over sixty percent from two. What does Auburn do better than anybody in the country right now? No, protect it, protect, protect it, protect it. Not only that, you got Jabari Smith back there, fine shot blocker. Key to that team so far has been Walker Kessler because those guards aren't allowed to get up there and pressure as much. If Walker Kessler is not back there behind them, they protect the rim at such a high rate. There's not a team in the country that plays harder with more consistency than the Auburn Tigers. And a lot of that has to do with their coach. Those guys get after it defensively and they have some junkyard dogs and there's not just one or two of them. There's, it's a team full of them. And whenever you have the best player on the court on any given night that you step out to play someone, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. And your best offensive player is not your best defensive player. 
And I think the the transfer of Walker Kessler has made all the difference for Auburn because it feeds right into Bruce Pearl's wheelhouse of being able to pressure opposing teams' guards, get them to make quick decisions, and you have this seven-foot-one guy that just blocks anything and everything around the rim. I think if the two played, I'm going to go with Auburn. Gonzaga. Go ahead. Go ahead, ahead, Tio. Gonzaga, I mean, they've struggled with the athletic bigs. Auburn has that. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga, like they can throw waves of rugged guards at you to guard Nimbard. Auburn has that. Like if those two played right now, say for the sake of argument in New Orleans, I think Auburn wins. And I just, I love the way Bruce Pearl goes about his business. It's all energy all the time, all gas, no breaks from start to finish. Like the in, the energy around that program, the energy of which they play. Uh, nobody plays harder, and I, Jabari Smith's a big reason on offense, and Walker Kessler's a big reason on defense. Yeah, the, the one thing I would say is this, um, to kind of play a little bit of, of uh, devil's advocate here. Um, the way that the, the pressing defenses work is that they they rely on guards that, that don't make good decisions, right? They rely on you making mistakes, right? That's kind of like the, the core tenant of a pressing defense right it's like they want to make your guards make mistakes and I think that Gonzaga has enough good guards that I don't necessarily see that rattling them right like I just think Andrew Nembhard you're not gonna you're not gonna get him out of what he kind of wants to do right like he's a he's a fourth year McDonald's All-American that has played in a national title game like that uh, that dude's gonna do kind of what he wants I think that we still have uh, a ceiling there because I can't imagine that Nolan Hickman is not going to continue to improve now that he's going to get like 20 minutes a game and all of these blowouts that they play. Um, yeah, blowouts. That, that's another reason their metrics are fantastic. Because I know we were on the show the other day with Prome, and Prome's like, hey, man, there's some good teams. Prome's a former coach, like a former head coach. If guys run good stuff, those teams are good teams. It doesn't necessarily, I'm, I'm, those two don't necessarily correlate. No, no, I, I get guy it. is a really good coach. Trust me, yeah, I get it. All, so, all I'm saying yeah, is that is that when I don't think that that you can get Gonzaga out of what they want to do. Now, my biggest concern is that teams that have proven the the willingness to get out and run with Gonzaga have been able to beat them so far this year. That's Duke mm-hmm. and that's Alabama. If you want to run with them, I, I don't. I, I think that you can probably um, you can handle that a little bit. And yes, the athletic bigs thing is a big problem because uh, you can put Jabari Smith on Chet Holmgren, who's out away from the basket, uh, and you can put Walker Kessler on Drew Timmy, and I think that you probably can have a pretty good chance of, of slowing them down there. So um, I'll put it like this. Uh, I don't think that there's necessarily a wrong choice for number one. I would probably go with Auburn as a slight favorite over Gonzaga at this point. I would not quibble with anyone that went with Gonzaga over Auburn. I just want this game to happen. We got to find a way to make this game happen. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll call up Bruce Pearl. I'll call up Mark Few. I told Goodman to do this on After Dark on Saturday. Put him on a text thread. Tell him, if you guys have any kind of cancellations coming up and you have a free weekend, just go play it somewhere, right? You could broadcast it on the field of 68. It's hard you know? right now, though. We'll put fans on the call. I don't want to hear your excuses, T.O. Come on. I need, I need this energy, baby. Let's go. It's Monday morning. We want to get Zaga Alabama or we want to get Zaga Auburn right here on the field of 68 network. Imagine. Yeah, that, imagine. Be good. Picture this. Picture this, T.O. Picture this. We have Gonzaga playing Auburn on the field of 68. John Fanta on the call. Current Raycom Sports color commentator, Terrence Oglesby breaking it down. How many, if you, if that happened, Fanta, how many times would T.O. call, uh, call Katie Johnson nightmare fuel? <laughs> over over under on two and a half at least uh, per half 
Well, here's the thing. It would be fun. And, and I want that game to happen. And I hope it happens in New Orleans. I, I hope. Here's the beauty of this sport this year. I hope about 12 games happen in New Orleans. And guess what? There's only going to be three. Uh, there's only three games that happen at the Superdome. And they're going to be fantastic because that's how good the sport is this year. But the fact is, you asked the question, who's number one right now? And this goes back to what we've talked about from the very start of this podcast when I kind of went off on the AP poll. Not kind of, I did. This is a snapshot. The AP top 25 poll is a snapshot. There have been ranked teams today that don't make the NCAA tournament. That has happened. That has happened. You could be ranked 23rd today. Guess what? If you lose seven of your next eight games, it don't matter. It don't matter. If you don't have a good enough resume, you're gone. Goodbye. The point is, right now, on this Monday, it's not about who would win between the two. It's who has the better body of work. Yep. Auburn has the better body of work when compared to Gonzaga, in my humble opinion. A head-to-head opponent, that being Alabama, went out to the West Coast to Seattle and beat Gonzaga and beat them fair and square. Like, had that game won with two minutes on the clock. Auburn goes to Tuscaloosa, plays the same type of game in terms of pace and tempo and all those, all those variables, and Auburn beats Alabama and had them beat for a while before Alabama made a late surge because they're on their home court. Auburn is deserving of number one. Could Gonzaga be the number one team when it's all said and done and win the national championship? Absolutely. But on this Monday, the Tigers are deserving. Yep, I agree. All right, so we're going to get into all that. One of the topics that I wanted to discuss on this show today was uh, our tier of title teams, our tier of title contenders. How many teams do you think fit into that number? How many teams do you think actually have a real chance of winning a title this season. I think it's a lot more than people realize. Uh, but before we do that, I, it was it was an absurd weekend in college basketball. So I want to get your guys, like, just your biggest storyline from the weekend before we get into kind of the title tier stuff. We had Oklahoma State beating Baylor, Baylor losing two straight home games for the first time ever as the AP number one team. Uh, we have Gonzaga continuing to roll. Obviously, Auburn is still, um, is still beating everybody. We had Oregon going into UCLA and into USC and knocking off two top 10 teams on the road this week. Uh, We had Duke looking awesome against NC State. We had Kansas and David McCormick kind of finding another gear. Michigan State lost at home. LSU lost at home. Texas lost again. Uh, We had Villanova put up crazy numbers uh, against Butler that almost matched the crazy numbers that Kentucky put up against Tennessee, the number two team in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency metric. Texas Tech lost. It it was just uh, Alabama lost. Seton Hall, it was an un- Believable weekend in college basketball. So, T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. What was your single biggest storyline from the weekend? Uh, I think the answer is Oregon. You go down, Coach Altman has struggled to get those guys to play together early in the season. He goes down and collects two wins in Los Angeles against two very good teams. Uh, And, guys, we've kind of been waiting to see what's going to happen because it was kind of a weird mixture of guys. Like, Jacob Young is kind of a wildcat. Davion Harmon – he is what he is, but Will Richardson's finally come alive. And this Oregon team, they have a lot of talent. And sometimes it takes some time to get used to your new players. And whenever you're transfer heavy like Oregon is, sometimes, especially re- really successful transfers that were either the first or second option on their team, you got to find ways for guys to fit together. Got to find ways for guys to fit together. He's starting to do that. And for them to get those two big wins, Will Richardson, 
has been good at the beginning. So far this year, he's been their leading scorer. He's been really good. Had 28 against you, uh, against Southern Cal. He was unbelievable this weekend. I'm going to throw a stat at you, T.O. You ready for this? I'm ready Actually, for I think, it. I think you know the stat already, and you can hear my daughter melting down in the background. It's a it's a holiday here. We have kids uh, kids at home <laughs> these days, and I guess yeah. mine are just not as well-behaved as, uh, as T.O.'s at this point. But Will Richardson. Mine are barricaded. Hold on. Mine are barricade. I have two doors to get to my office. So you have one door out here and it's a, it's a soundproof door. And then I have an, I don't know why I was there. It was there when we bought the house. And then I have another door to my office. It's also closed. So I don't, I don't want to know what was going on in that office before you got there. If it's a soundproof barricaded door. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. But here yeah. I am. <laughs> uh, here, here's the stat. So Will Richardson has scored in single digits uh, in five games this season. Oregon is one and four in those games. The one game that they won was against Chaminade in the uh, the Las Vegas, whatever the 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 Maui Invitational that was held in uh, held in Las Vegas. When he scores in double figures, um, they've only lost twice this season. I think it's what it's ten and two on the year. Uh, one of those losses was to Baylor at home when when they actually played pretty well, and the other one came uh, at Stanford. By three points so but that was your super stat the other night wasn't it yeah it was it's the third time that i've re- rattled off this stat. Yeah. it's a great stat it's a fantastic one <laughs> take that one until it, it yeah, use that one it as long as i'm you gonna can. keep using it you, you know <laughs> you uh, but to, to your point and fans i'm curious your take on this it's just when when oregon gets that backcourt going it changes everything for them uh at this point john would you where, where do you see oregon kind of stand in the pantheon of pac-12 teams we know arizona is really really good USC looks like they might be just a little bit. They've lost back-to-back games now. Um, they lost to Stanford. They lost to uh, to Oregon. Um, UCLA is like overvalued. Yeah, sorry. U- Go U- ahead. USC and UCLA. You think they're both overvalued, Fenton? I think I think both are overvalued right now. I think when it's said and done, the Oregon Ducks are going to finish number three in the Pac-12. Uh, I still think UCLA will be number two. It would not surprise me at all if Oregon hopped them. But it just took some time for Dane Altman to get this particular group going. Um, now, look, I, I, I don't see anybody really challenging Arizona. And I know you might say, well, look, the rankings would reflect differently. Arizona is the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah. They are the best team in the Pac-12. If Kirk Kreese is playing under control, and that's a big if, but if that's happening – then this is a don't, team that don't hate on my don't hate on my guy Kirk Creasa. Come on, no, 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 no I, go ahead, go ahead, Fanta. Do you let don't I let Dalton dissuade you from what you're saying? Make your point, it, sir. Their overall length is fantastic, but but here's the thing with Oregon, they are so hard to play against. And in your Richardson stat, it really does reflect it that like I, I thought that this last year was so exemplified with a different team with a different team when Iowa played Oregon and got absolutely run off the floor. Dana Altman is one of the best chess players in college basketball. He is great at taking your weakness and making it his strength. That's what he does for a living. And he does such a good job of of just identifying that and exposing. And I thought that Oregon did a terrific job of that this weekend. They made both their opponents extremely uncomfortable. They made UCLA's defense uncomfortable. And Mick Cronin had to be having trouble sleeping this weekend because Mick Cronin's defenses never look uncomfortable. They've got great guard play, and it is a a guard's game, and it's coming around. Oregon may very well be a misseeded team 
on Selection Sunday. They, Ooh, they, you well, hold on, hold on. They're not. Yeah, they're going to make the tournament. They're they're definitely going to make the tournament. Um, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have any doubt about that. I, I don't. They're not going to be miss seeded. They're they're going to be better than what their seed is. But they got a quad four loss to Arizona State. They were uh, beat no 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 by, Rob. They were beat like Houston owed them money. They lost by thirty two points to BYU. Gonzaga put up one hundred eighty thousand points on BYU on Thursday. Okay. I watched that game. It, it was one hundred eighty thousand. Oregon scored 49. Like, look, the, uh, I, they're better. They're, they're hitting their stride, but they're not going to be underseeded. They're going to be properly seeded for a team that played like ass for the first two months yeah, of the season. Okay, we disagree. So we disagree on this. When I say underseeded, I'm saying they're better than that seed. Yeah, yeah, they so, will be. But so not seeded, gonna... seeded correctly by the committee gotcha. is, is, yeah. is not what a coach is looking at. No, I test. I test. Big I test. No, so I'm with you. The committee's going to seat them where they seat them. But guess what? Somebody's going to – somebody stuck in a 7-10 game is going to be really pissed off. Yeah. And it's probably going to lose. Imagine being the two seed that has to draw Oregon when they're hitting their stride as a 10 seed in the NCAA Bingo. tournament. It's going to suck. Bingo. That's what I'm saying. Once upon, a time, once upon a time in 2016 – Gonzaga was an 11 seed, and um, I'm sitting there. I'm covering at the time. I'm covering Seton Hall very closely. I'm a student. It's Selection Sunday. Seton Hall's in their first NCAA tournament in years. They're the sixth seed in Utah, playing at 10 o'clock at night against 11 seeded Gonzaga. The game was over before it started, and you got the six. It's the worst six seed I've ever seen in my life. So somebody's going to get a good seed or maybe a better seed than Oregon. And it ain't going to matter. Mm-hmm. Or This Oregon team could be the one that crashes the party and makes the, the Sweet 16 when we really like a two seed. We're going to be sitting there saying that is one scary matchup. So that's what I mean when I say seeded properly by committee. But in the eyes of us, coaches and players, we're going to say, damn, that number next to them, it does not reflect who they actually are. I, I, you, know, you know another one who was – tragically when i was playing my freshman year in college we were a five seed you know who we drew in the first round freaking villanova oh god it was it was uh what was it uh, Corey uh stokes they had scott reynolds antonio like it was such a good team that was that was the that was the one year when everybody in that in your in your building because that was in tampa right every every underseeded team every every like 12 or 13 seed one i think uh Western Kentucky hit that game-winning three in overtime. Sienna, yeah, Sienna, Sienna, Sienna upset somebody in overtime, and then I think it was Vanderbilt lost to Sienna State. No, Vanderbilt lost to Sienna because we were going to have the that game, and then and then Murray State beat someone too. I remember that. Yeah, it went, like that. There you go. Like I was just looking at that Gonzaga example from from 2016. Gonzaga gets an 11. The six is Seton Hall, who won the Big East championship with Isaiah Whitehead. The three was Utah, okay? Really good Utah team in 2016. They had a pro, uh, but, but I, I digress. Gonzaga wins the opening round game as an 11, 68-52. In the round of 32, they face Utah, who was one of the best teams in the country, ranked top 15 all year. They beat Utah 82-59. to They go to the Sweet 16. The only reason why they lost was that was the year that, that Jim Beheim, one of those years where he just couldn't lose, they lost by three to Syracuse, who ended up making the Final Four in 2016 and yeah. playing North right. Carolina. Fancy, so give me your, give me your biggest, 
Yeah, hey, Kyle yeah. Kuzma was the pro, wasn't he? Was it Kyle Kuzma was the pro? Yep, they beat they beat Kyle Kuzma led Utah by twenty three. Like this cool. happens in the tournament. That's why it's a crapshoot. <laughs> That's what makes it the the best postseason uh, ever, and also the worst way to determine the best team with a postseason. And I love it. I'll, I'd, I'd have it no other way. Fanta, give me your biggest storyline uh, from college basketball this weekend. They combined for forty nine points and thirteen assists. Ladies and gentlemen, Ty Ty Washington, accompanied by Severe Wheeler. <laughs> we just talked last week, and I was told on this show that Severe Wheeler would not be part of Kentucky's best five. And Severe Wheeler made a resounding statement on Saturday, and so did the Kentucky Wildcats in a 107 to 79 win over Tennessee. Ty Ty Washington is playing like the guy we all thought he could be. And Kentucky is a team that you can believe in this big dance. I am buying the Wildcats. I think Ty Ty is the perfect player for John Calipari's system. Kellen Grady keeps coming along. We love that transfer out when it happened. And they have one of the best bigs, if not the best big in America this season, and Oscar Tshibwe who only had nine points in this win, he didn't need to have any more than that. The fact of the matter is this, gentlemen, if Kentucky gets a severe wheeler they had on Saturday, the Kentucky Wildcats could be in New Orleans. They could be in New Orleans if Wheeler is playing like that because guess what? Ty Ty ain't slowing down. Ty Ty Washington is picking up steam right now, and I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'm going to tell you why that's the big deal. Um, Because Kentucky on Saturday played a game that was 73 possessions. Uh, they've been playing right around that, like the the low seventies mark since um, since the Notre Dame game against. Right. Notre Dame can, I, can I interrupt? Can I can I interrupt you? You are like this podcast version of Rain Man. Just as soon as something happens, stats. No, I got it. I, I'll tell I love you why. this. I love gonna, this so much. I'm, gonna, I'm taking you to play blackjack. Yeah, gotta... I'm, I'm putting it into context for you. Okay, so okay, um, they had set, they, they've been kind of in that like low seventies mark for possessions. Uh, low 70s would have them as like a top 20 team in terms of pace in college basketball. Uh, 62 possessions is the number of possessions per game that Villanova averages. Do you know where Villanova ranks in terms of pace in college basketball in terms of tempo? 355th. The reason why Kentucky has hit a new gear with Severe Wheeler in that lineup and they're playing well with those two together is that they're playing like this. They're getting up and down the floor. And where Severe Wheeler is going to thrive is when you get him in, o- in open court settings. The problem with having Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington on the floor together is if you want to play possession by possession, slow it down, grind it out game, because you do not have to guard him on the perimeter. And if you do not have to guard him and you don't have to worry about guarding whoever is at the four, all of a sudden that floor just kind of goes like this and gets condensed. And when you have a big guy like Oscar Sheway in the middle, you need to have a way to create space for him. So the fact that John Calipari is now playing like this that right there is a total game changer for kentucky i'm with you kentucky's awesome they're fourth right now in ken pom ceo they're awesome i thought i thought i think tennessee i think i thought tennessee was so uh overwhelmed by rup arena that they couldn't function like i was sat there and i watched that game and i'm sitting here watching those guards i'm like severe wheeler was getting downhill so fast against a Tennessee team, even after makes, that just wasn't all the way focused. I'm sorry to rain on your guys' parade, but Kentucky, they relied on a lot of off-the-dribble mid-range jump shots. They made a lot of those. 
not sustainable. But that's Ty Ty's game. Not, that's the thing yeah, is, but that's, not sustainable. Well, I, that's why. That's why. That's Ty Ty Washington. That's fine. It's not sustainable against really really good teams. And Tennessee didn't I play mean, like a really good team. Yeah, it might not be, but like at the same time, that's also what Jordan. Like that's that's Jordan Davis's game too. You know, like that. There's a lot of guys that kind of make that work at this level. And um, I hear what you're saying, but the other part is, T.O., this was the first time that we saw Ty Ty in severe play like that. The reason why Kentucky is great this year is Oscar Sheewin. Like, he is the guy that they build yeah. around. So on the night when he gets taken away, the guards step up and make a play. Like, that's why I'm so bullish. They, they can beat you multiple ways. They can that's play it. up and down like this. They can get the ball to, to Big Sheev in the middle. Their guards are making – like, it just they're, – they're trending in this direction. Now, uh, mm-hmm. do you want to shoot all those – pull-up jumpers off the, the, the dribble in the mid-range? Probably not, but you know what? Kellen Grady's still shooting better. Than th- How about this? What do you think he's shooting from three this season, Kellen Grady? Probably, yeah, probably 50%, if not better. 48 for 104. That's good, T.O. That is good. Four, do, do, you want some more numbers? That is 46.2% from three. It's not bad. That's good. It's not That's bad. good. What, what, do you do, what do you do if you're an opposing team and you're playing against Kentucky? What would you do? Uh, I would try to slow the game down. Yep. I would not send people to the offensive glass. And when Severe Wheeler would have the ball, I would play off. I would do exactly what Notre Dame did. Try to make yep. it like a 60 to 63 possession game. Play off of Severe Wheeler. Send help to Big Sheep. And dare that dude to shoot. Dare that dude then, to beat me. Deny the, the deny the advance pass. Yes. Because that's where they were really good. Like, they were getting that ball. Sevilla was getting it on the wing, and he hit Kellen, Kellen Grady up. They'd be able to find something quick. And then what happened is Tennessee started retreating back so fast that they weren't matching up. Like, Tennessee played like shit. Yeah, they did. Bad, bad as they've played. And, like, completely rattled, no help side. Even in half-court situations, like, their rotations were trash. Yeah. They were trash, and that's not the Tennessee team we've seen play. Like this, they walked into Rupp Arena, got completely overwhelmed by the size and the crowd, and I guess too much ice cream. I don't know what it was, but it was pitiful. Like tennis, like I, I'm all with Kentucky being good. I'm all with them being good. I'm not sure they're Final Four good like a lot of people. I think somebody will pick them off because I a lot of their a lot of their points were kind of crap points, bad we, switches. We've been saying that, right? Just throwing it over. Yeah, but it was just bad. Like, like Tennessee was really poor defensively. And yeah, they, they were every, shocked. But everything about Kentucky this year, like we've been saying, they're they're matchup dependent, right? Yeah, and this, exactly. This, which this makes did me not work. look like this did not look like a fair favorable matchup on paper, and it ended up being one that kind of worked out well for them. Which is mm-hmm. why I'm like, okay, maybe we need to pay a little bit more attention to this group. Now we're gonna find out like real soon uh, on Saturday. They play at Auburn, so we're gonna know. We're gonna find out really exactly. really soon. They're going to lose that game. Yeah. We're going to find out really soon. They also get your boys, Texas A&M, on uh, on. They'll Wednesday. slow it down. Yeah. They'll slow it down. Like, well, we'll we're going to, we're going to find out just how real they are, but I like it's, I thought Tennessee was poor, piss poor. Like, like I, I and I hate it. Cause I'm from, I'm from East Tennessee boys. And I got a lot of family that only wear that you're color. From, you're from Tennessee. Yep. Wow. And only, and only wear that color of orange. Is that why? Like, is that why you went to Clemson so that uh, so that your family could still wear orange? Yeah, yeah. Just no, orange, it, orange is not a flattering color on a lot of people. To you, orange is not a yes, flattering color. Yeah, well, it's it's not a especially from those folks up in upstate New York, they should not be wearing orange. Maybe yeah, that's a wrong folks shade. Cleveland, though, folks in Cleveland, baby. That's it, dog pound. <laughs> uh, but anyway, no, I I thought Tennessee was as bad a game as they played. And to yep. be honest with you guys, I thought Kennedy Chandler was a little too cool for school. Like I didn't think he played all that hard. 
I thought they were poor. I, I like okay, but- it wasn't. You didn't see Kentucky. Uh, the, you saw the best version of Kentucky. You saw the absolute worst version of Tennessee, which is what I took away from that game more than anything. Yep. All right. So my biggest storyline from the weekend was uh, the the second time this week that the number one team in the country lost. Um, I have a take on this. Uh, well, first and foremost, before we get into the Baylor side, I just want to like shout out Mike Boyne. Shout out to Oklahoma State. Like, people that listen to this pod know how we feel, uh, specifically how I feel about the way that that NCAA ruling came down. It's awful. It's bullshit. And I think that they got railroaded. Uh, I don't think that it's right. So to see that team and that staff and that program and those kids be able to have a moment like going on the road and beating the reigning national champions who are number one in the country in their own building, kind of kicking their ass a little bit too, is, uh, is something that I, I, I'm happy. Like it makes me – I like that. Good. Good for them. Um, but for me, I, we've made this point before, and I think it was on – I can't remember where I said it, but I think it was on the show. I said my biggest concern with Baylor is their small guards. And I think what we saw this week was two teams that play a whole bunch of dudes that are like 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", athletics, switch everything, length, athleticism. I think we saw some of the limitations at having a guy like a James Akinjo who's 6'1", and Adam Flagler who's 6'2", and LJ Cryer who's 6'1". Having those guys be your initiators – can be a little bit problematic when they got to beat dudes like Adonis Arms or Bryce Thompson or some of those long athletic guys that, that uh, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech had. I think, to me, that was my biggest takeaway is like, okay, this is how this is how Baylor can be gotten when you have length and athleticism on the perimeter that can kind of – you switch everything, you don't let them run their offense, and you make sure that their guards can't create at the point of attack, and all of a sudden Baylor kind of gets a little bit – you know, it, it, you can limit them in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And they didn't they didn't force any turnovers either, which is something that Baylor has thrived on all year. Their turnover percentage against both those teams, less than 20%. Mm-hmm. Undefeated in the rest of the games. They, it, they have to be able to create a turnover and get out and run because that, that allows some of that flow of movement to begin. They weren't able to do that against either Texas Tech or Oklahoma State. And also, both teams, really athletic. Both teams can really go to basketball. Kind of going yes. along with what you said, Doster. And the two-point percentage, those two games were bad, too. So, you know, threes go in and out. You have to be good around the rim. That's it's really important. And I just uh, – just interesting to see. I, 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 this isn't a damning thing by any stretch of the imagination in my eyes, though. Well, John, does it change the way that you – I just called you – I think it was the first time I've called you John and not Fanta since I've actually known you. But So, Fanta, uh, does that – does it change the way that you view – uh, Baylor this season because I think we were kind of getting to a point where it was like yeah Baylor is like the clear-cut unquestioned no doubt about it number one team in the country well uh, it does change that way uh, because I, I don't think it, it's nearly as clear-cut and I do think that they have some things to figure out on the offensive end of the floor uh, one of the things that we talked about last week was at some point when you get to the NCAA tournament you have to be able to score the ball in different ways to win. You know, when, when you're playing your second game in three days or your fourth game in a span of 10 days, you got to be able to, to find other ways to score. And I thought that was a strength of Baylor. And I still do. I think they had a clunker of a week, uh, particularly on the offensive end. I also think it speaks to the, the amount that they poured into the last 10 minutes of the Texas Tech game. They were trying trying on, the, on, a, on a not good day for them offensively to win that game. Mm-hmm. And you turn the page, and Mike Boynton had to tell his Oklahoma State team, guys, 
This is your national championship game here in Waco. It's our chance here this year. It's very unfortunate what has occurred with the Cowboys, but the fact is that's, that's what has occurred with them, that they won't be appearing on the big dance floor. For me, though, where I get concerned about Baylor is that Matthew Meyer's been inconsistent and that on the interior, they do not have a consistent way that they're scoring the basketball. They have a lot of size and quality in it. But at some point, you got to be able to put the ball through the hoop. I know it's very – you, you're not, you're not going to get that analysis anywhere else. Uh, but Baylor's inefficient offensively on the interior. They need their guards to deliver. And they need James Akinjo to be the head of the snake. And I think what we learned this past week is, is that when Akinjo's trying to – find out uh, about that perimeter shot throughout the course of the game. He's the most important piece of this Baylor team. That's why you have all American type of praise for him. If he's a little bit off kilter, if a defense makes him uncomfortable, what does Baylor do in response? They have Flagler, they have Cryer. To me though, guys, I get concerned because I don't know what I'm getting game to game from the four and five positions. And at a certain point, if I'm a defense, I say, Get the ball in the hands of these players because we'll, we'll live with them. Mm. We want to take it out of James Akinjo's hands. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a good point. Not having that pressure release where you could throw the ball to a guy in a post and just let people run off of them, know that you're going to get a bucket, get a foul, changes the way uh, that teams can defend you. You can't quite climb all over everybody knowing that you got a guy down there that can kind of be the pivot of an offense. All right, uh, let's end this thing. Let's talk about our title tier of teams. I have, I don't know how many you guys have. I wrote 11 down. I have 11 teams. Really? I'm missing, I'm missing some teams wow. that you might think are a little bit uh, higher than, uh, than other places. So T.O., since you just said, wow, it means your list is probably going to be short. So I'm going to go is. to you first on this one. It, it's your, shorter. Give yeah. me your list of title, the, the teams that can win a title this year. All right, even though they just lost two in a row, Baylor is part of my list. Purdue, because they're eventually – like, I, I just have too much faith in Painter and all those guys. They have one of the fastest human beings on the planet with the ball in his hands. Jaden Ivey and all that size. And Travion Williams, some of those passes he makes, guys, just, just warm – they just warm my heart because I I would usually be the guy on the opposite wing waiting for a post pass like that. And Trevor Booker could make them, but not like Travion Williams. So, I love that. Auburn can win it. Uh, we've already talked about them. Duke with five first round potential first round draft picks on that roster. Talent wins in the NCAA tournament. They'll be able to overwhelm you. AJ Griffin has been awesome. Not kind of good. Awesome over the last few games. Ultimate difference maker for him. He makes shots and he's great. Ultimate difference maker. Absolutely. Uh, Arizona can win it, which is wild to think about. And then Illinois, because the way they shoot it, Curbelo coming back, hopefully off the bench. I think that's the best way he can be effective. I know a lot of people probably won't uh, agree with me on that, but uh, those six right there, I think, can do it. And, and for the record, I, I got a text during the show that said, uh, in uniform in regards to Andre Curbelo today. So I don't know if that means he's Good. playing. This We're recording this about an hour before uh, Illinois and Purdue actually tip off on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but it looks like – Andre Corbello, at the very least, is going to be in uniform. I don't know if that means he's playing, but he's going to be in uniform today. So um, I know he's been dealing with some serious health stuff. So I'm, I'm glad to see him come back. 
good good for the kid i i want to see these kids have have fun and enjoy their time uh is that it we we hit everyone you had six right at six yeah i got six uh, it was uh it was auburn duke gonzaga baylor arizona and illinois and purdue you had purdue in there too and purdue yep so seven that's six baylor purdue auburn duke arizona illinois which did you say an extra one i don't remember gonzaga (laughs) you didn't have gonzaga no gonzaga no gonzaga Wow. Wow. T.O. with the hot take. All right, Fanta, give me your title tier teams. I have 10, two tiers of five. Okay. And to not go too long for a lot of the reasons that Terrence listed. So let's just give it to you right now. Here, here's the list. We love lists. These are the 10 teams that I think win a national championship. Tier one, five teams. Duke. Auburn. Mm-hmm. Arizona. Baylor, Gonzaga. Those are the five teams I feel most confident in. Baylor for their defense. Duke as well for their defensive ability. You talked about A.J. Griffin uh, and and the fact that Paolo Bancaro uh, can do what he does. Auburn for their tempo for the player Jabari Smith. Um, and, And I just love Walker Kessler as a rim protector. Arizona for Benedict Matherin being one of the best teams in the country and that that rim protection. Those are the five in tier one. In tier number two, Purdue, because you combine the length with Jaden Ivey's stardom, with the shot making that they have, three or four guys that can all go off from three, that's why. Kentucky. Kentucky is in tier number two. Ty Ty Washington has blossomed into a superstar. He's perfect for the system. Kellen Grady is the most important piece for them. Because you guys talked about earlier on this show that Kentucky stuck in a half-court game. How are they going to win? They were involved in a rugged game with LSU a couple weeks back. And Wheeler and Washington, as T.O. heads heads somewhere, Wheeler and Washington both exiting that game late. LSU beat them 65-60. to But that was a more rugged game, and I thought Kentucky fought well in that game. You still got Oscar Tshibwe, and you still got an elite shot maker. I don't care where the game's played, what tempo it's played at. Kellen Grady can hit shots. If Ty Ty's continuing to build, watch out. Kansas is in there for me. I still think the Kansas Jayhawks can win a national championship. Ochai Agbaji, on any given day, is the best player in college basketball. So I'm going to side with that, and will David McCormick be able to keep a rhythm going? We'll see. Illinois is in there. Illinois, without Curbelo, has actually found out some things about some of their other guard play. Um, I like Grandison quite a, quite a bit on that team. And I think that, that Kofi Coburn um, is going to be able to compete, if not win, any battle he has. I'd love to see Coburn and Toshibwe play. But Trent Frazier, to me, is the biggest piece of that Illinois team. They need him. Mm-hmm. He's a veteran player. He makes big-time shots. Frazier's the most important piece. That's the most important piece of the puzzle as to why Illinois could win it. And my 10th team, rounding them out, in the final team in Tier 2 is a team that is currently Ken Palm number 3, a team that has won six straight games. They are hanging right there at the bottom of Tier 2, but they are in my tier of 10 teams that could win it all, and that is Villanova because they do not turn the ball over. You do ha- you've do you got to beat them. You 
They're not going to make mistakes. Colin Gillespie's a game manager, the epitome of it. Villanova rounds out tier number two. Villanova amazes me because they just continue to win in, like, in spite of not having huge talent. And they just keep doing the right stuff over and over and over. And you, you alluded to it, Fanta, a couple of shows ago or podcasts ago. Or I don't know the vernacular, but like they never make mistakes. They always find ways to beat you. And that, that aura of we are Villanova is such a thing, especially in Big East play. Yes. Like it's, it's amazing. And, and I'm wondering like how long I'm going to be able to count them out because I've counted them out right now. But good gosh, they just find ways to win consistently. Yeah, they, they, it sucks that me and Fanta actually have the literally the exact same list. I wrote, I have 10 teams down. I have the five that I think are the favorites and five that I think can win a title. And it's the exact same. It's a little bit of a different order, um, but I have the exact same teams. The biggest thing for me is I'm a little, I think I'm lower on Purdue at this point than I think a lot of people are because I, I, I have such a hard time trusting their guard play. And the one thing that we know, about March and we know about the NCAA tournament is you have to have some kind of like great guard play to be able to win. Like there's a reason why UConn won a title when it was Kemba Walker and a bunch of guys, why they won a title when it was Shabazz Napier and a bunch of guys. Um, If you go back over the years and look at the teams that have won national titles, uh, they all have had not just one great point guard, but most of them had two great point guards over the course of the last decade. So it's, it's difficult for me to fully buy into a team like Purdue, where I'm like, I don't even know if they have one great point guard on that roster or one good point guard on that roster, you know? So uh, I need Jaden Ivey to take a step before I fully buy in on them. Uh, Same thing with Kansas, right? Like I need Remy Martin to be back healthy. I need David McCormick to be the guy that he was on Saturday. I need Jalen Wilson to be the guy that he was on Saturday. But when you have, I think the pieces are all there for for Kansas, right? Like if you tell me Remy Martin, Christian Braun, Oshai Agbaji, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick are all playing their best and coached by Bill Self, like that team is fucking good, right? Now, I don't know if they're going to get there, but you can't tell me that a team with those five guys and that head coach is going to find a way to play some of their best basketball in March. And if they are playing their best basketball in March, like you have to buy into that, right? Like I just don't know how you, you can't. Um, I have one X factor written down, and I'm curious your guys' opinion on this because I think that they are another team that is kind of being undervalued uh, by, by college basketball fandom at large, and that's Wisconsin. Uh, I think outside of like maybe three teams, Wisconsin is going to have the best player on the floor every time that they play. We've seen them have full blow-up games. Uh, Tyler Wall has taken a step forward. Um, Brad Davison, uh, I mean, look, I hate on the kid as much as anyone, but like it's all for like the stuff he does on the court. It's not for what he can actually do when he's playing. Um, and I mean, he's hitting big shots. He's coming off of screens. He's tough. There's a leadership uh, aspect there. I, I think he's such an undervalued piece for what that that Wisconsin team is. He's a really good player. He's a really good. He shoots yeah, like out of it. They run him off of screens. He opens stuff up. He's tough. You're good. You know, you're going to get at least three to four turnovers because of all the flopping stuff that he does. Like he's mm-hmm. a very, very valuable player that helps you win basketball games. I don't like the flopping shit that he does. I think that he's. Uh, like it's, he, he pulls some, I don't know if I want to call him dirty, but like, it's just, it's, it, it, there, there's too many times that he's hit another dude in the nuts for me to, to not say that at some point it's, it's gotta be kind of intentional, right? At some point you kind of have to say that, but he helps them win, man. Like there's that there, you, you can't ignore the wins that he provides and, and what he provides there. Um, again, I don't know if I trust their point guard play, but I also think that when it comes down to it, Jordan Davis is, or Johnny Davis is actually their point guard. Um, so Wisconsin to me is a team 
Like you always want to find those teams that have the one dude that can carry you on a run through March. And like, if there's one guy that I trust to be able to do that, it, it's, it's Johnny Davis. So um, to me, they, the, the, I rarely have a list of teams that can win it. That's this deep. I, I just, I don't think that there's one team that can't be beaten in college. Everyone's got a flaw. Everyone's got yeah. something wrong with them. Right. So uh, it's like the first season of America's uh, next top model, right? Everyone's got a flaw before they started. I, know, I, I just think, I just think there's a lot of, of really, really good teams this year as a result of kids coming back and there's yeah. just, you know, a boatload of experience. Yes. Like, I, I also think flaws get exposed when the sport is better. Like you're, if that makes sense, right? Like you're going to be able to, to see more crazy things happen uh, if you've got better teams near the top or at the top of the country. So yeah. it's fun. It's fun to be able to debate that there could be five or six different teams that are in that top tier of being able to win it all that we could see multiple other number ones. Like, that's when college basketball is better, uh, I would argue. So I, I think not only is it because of the COVID stuff that kids came back, but I also think that this is a sign of what we're going to see in the future. Because now, if you're a coach who loses a big senior class or who loses a foundational piece, you can go through the portal, go to aisle 12, and you can find somebody who's looking for a redemption tour and who might just be the player that that you need to stay in that category if you build a roster correctly. So yeah, the, the portal the portal changes everything in this sport. There's going to be more national championship contenders year after year because of the transfer portal. I really feel that way. Yeah, and it's not just the the fact that the portal exists. It's the fact that the the you didn't have red shirts because of transfers this season, right? Like normally, all of these kids would have been sitting out for a year, and you have what like. 30 players that would have been contributing pieces on really good teams that you needed that weren't playing. And now they're actually able to play. So I think that that helps the sport as well. And again, we talk about the NIL stuff all the time. I think you're going to be getting more of these really super talented one and done kids getting into college. You're going to be getting kids that are kind of in that. uh, Should I go to Europe? Should I go try to get a two way or should I come back and make like 50 K off my NIL stuff? I think you're getting more of those kids coming back to school as well. So the, the everyone wants to complain about like, the the player empowerment in college basketball it's the best thing for the sport and it's going to be a pain in the ass for coaches right like this idea of having to recruit through agents as opposed to recruiting through families and au coaches like i get it whatever that's why that's why these elite college basketball coaches get paid what they pay right there's a reason why you get as much money as you get there's a reason why those paychecks are as nice as they are and i look there's a lot of coaches that listen to this i know what your paychecks are like when you're coaching at the highest level so um it is what it is man just adapt with the times you got to do what you got to do. It's a great look at for the Fulkerson. Look at Fulkerson. Like, Fulkerson, um, I, I have a roundabout idea of what he's making through some of his NIL stuff. And it's more than a first-year contract in Europe. And that's yeah. where he would have ended up. So, like yep. – Well, well, for the record, like, Fulkerson might have to get some, uh, some fines to those NIL deals if he keeps putting up zero points, zero rebounds, and three turnovers. <laughs> hey, Fulkerson, hey, you got to get it together. He's been sick, man. He's been really sick. Um, hey, Baker Mayfield threw another interception just now, and he's on every progressive ad <laughs> known to man. So, so, so <laughs> performance compared to commercial. You yeah, know, right? I, have, I have a question for T.O. Yeah. I, I have a John from New Jersey asking a question to Terrence. First and, time, long time. First time, long time, T.O. Right. First time, long time. My question <laughs> is, as a former player, 
you know the ebbs and flows of basketball, how the game evolved, how it's evolved here. You're probably fascinated to see how the game's evolved even in the last 10 years Yeah, beyond the three-point arc. How much of this also might be that today's 18 to 21-year-old has adapted where the sport was going maybe five or six years ago, but that that kid at the youth level didn't have the same road as the kid now playing college basketball has to better adapt and not make the college game look ugly, if that question makes sense. So what you're asking me is why is talent better now compared to <laughs> is that kind of what you're asking me? Like, why why is talent able to adapt now? Because we're getting bigger kids that are more skilled? That, and I just think five or six years ago, I talked to some people sometimes, and they'd say, God, the, the college product can be dreadful at times. Yep. And I don't think in 21, 22, you, you could say that it's dreadful. I, I think the product of games is good. It's really good. It's really good. I had I actually had this exact conversation with a guy named Nick Nick Ryacic, who's kind of like the Skip Bayless of Sweden for college basketball. And he's like, hey, man, it's amazing. Basketball is exploding in Sweden. And Sweden's not typically a huge basketball country. But because of Instagram and Snapchat and the accessibility it is for all these kids, like I, I was sitting there thinking about it. I had to do the workouts that my dad taught me because we didn't know any better. I had to do the workouts that my coaches told me to do because I didn't know any better. Now these kids are seeing all these workouts and all these different things that people are working on. So like you're getting a bigger, you, you have, you're exposed to so much more information and how you can get better. And what happens is there's a lot of people playing basketball. These six, six kids that were eight and six, six in middle school, they were told to get down on the block. Now they're watching all these people on YouTube going through all these drills. They're like, why can't I do that? That looks a lot more fun anyway. And so you're getting a better product as a result. So I think, I think that has a lot to do with it. I, I really do. Like the exposure that you can get and things you can work out on, it's tremendously different. Like how many kids, even 10 years ago, when I was playing in Sweden, when it was starting to grow, basketball was starting to grow more and more and more. Like, was it a huge point of emphasis, all these things? No. But kids like, because of Snapchat, because of Instagram, like they see all these snippets. So now they're even more interested. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I now a kid now after he's piqued his interest, he gets to find out. Well, how? Do, what do they do? And then you can kind of carry on from that. I think that has a lot to do with it. A lot to do with it. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. <laughs> well, listen, guys, we've been here for an hour. Uh, this this has awesome. been fun. This has been the DTF podcast for Terrence Oglesby, for John Fanta. My name is Rob Doster. Uh, we'll see you guys again next month.